It was January 2012. My father had been inviting my sister and her husband to church for months. And on one particular Sunday, they finally decided to come. Uh, as soon as they pulled up, I could see how uneasy my brother-in-law, Josh, was, how uncomfortable he was. And to be fair, he had every right to be. Josh was recently unemployed. His marriage was in trouble. Uh, he stood at an even six foot tall, and he showed up in a hoodie and a pair of shorts. I mean, he's covered from head to toe in tattoos. You couldn't even look the man in the eyes without seeing the name of his, his, name, the name of his children on his throat. And although as he was walking in, nobody said hi to him, Nobody started a conversation with him. He still walked confidently to his seat in the sanctuary. And on that particular Sunday, uh, there was a guest preacher there. And that preacher brought the message of the gospel. He talked about a just, holy, righteous God in a broken, sinful people. And he talked about how these broken, sinful people needed a savior. And that savior's name was Jesus Christ. Out of the corner of my eye, I could at least see this was stimulating some sort of emotional response out of Josh. And my suspicions were confirmed when at the end of the service, he grabbed his wife by the hand and he ran up to the preacher and started talking with him. The preacher led him through a prayer and uh, introduced him to some deacons and they set up a meeting and, uh, and I wish the story got better from there. I wish that they, would, they started discipling Josh and pouring into him and helping him grow in his faith and, 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 and then he would be able to go out and be a warrior for Christ himself, but that's not what happened. As weeks turned into months, um, not one of the 12 deacons in the church or the dozens of Christian men uh, reached out to Josh. Josh faithfully showed up for a little bit, but eventually he became discouraged um, and he stopped coming. And even then, nobody reached out. Uh, and he dove deeper into his sin struggles and uh, eventually him and my sister got divorced several years later. The reality of what happened is Josh showed up to the church looking for answers to his questions, looking for answers to his problems, and he didn't find them. And man, I didn't realize the travesty I was experiencing at the time because I myself wasn't saved. I mean, the church had been handed on a silver platter an opportunity to, to help someone grow in their faith and, or, and, and to, to live on mission for Christ. And some of you might argue that, you know, well, he was never saved to begin with if he left the church, and hey, I have to agree with you. If they depart from us, they were never of us. That's in 1 John. But man, does that not put all the more importance on the question as to why people are coming to the church today with, answer, with questions and they're leaving without answers? Because ultimately what, what it comes down to is Josh came to the church looking for answers and he didn't find them there. So what I want to do is I just want to spend today talking about that talking about those things. I'm sure uh, you guys can relate to this. I'm sure you've seen it yourself. Whether, you know, somebody who's been attending for weeks, months, or years, and all of a sudden they stop coming. I mean, we see it all the time in our youth groups. Uh, children are born in the church. They're raised in the church. They're very involved in their youth group. And then they go off to college, and then all of a sudden, they stop going to church. And then and they end up abandoning the faith. Why does that happen? I hope to tackle that today in God's word. If you want to flip your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 19. That's going to kind of be our anchoring passage today. I'm going to be reading out of the CSB version. Uh, but if you have any other modern English translation, I'm sure you'll be fine. And it's going to be on the screen right there too. So, um, Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We must recognize the importance of this command because Jesus did. I mean, let's just paint a picture here. Jesus has just completed the greatest act of sacrifice in human history. I mean, he fulfilled the gospel. When it, okay, so actually, I don't want to assume that anyone in here actually knows what the gospel is, okay? I'm sure there's people in here that do not know Christ and they do not understand truly what I'm referring to when I say the gospel. So I just want to break that down really quick. There is an infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-holy, pure, righteous God. And this God created the universe for one purpose, and that's to bring him glory. And mankind, you and me, every single one of us, has punted on that calling. We have turned our backs on God, and we have decided that we want to live for ourselves. We have made ourselves enemies of God. And this holy, righteous, perfect God Look down on us, and he would have had every right to, in that moment, say, to hell with you. I'll start over from scratch. But did he do that? No. Instead, he decided that he was going to send his son to come die on the cross for our sins. And what does that mean, to die on the cross for our sins? Not only was he crucified by the Romans for a crime he did not commit, but while he was hanging there on the cross, he was enduring the wrath of God that would have been poured out for, on us for turning our backs on God, for basically spitting in God's face. So when I'm referring to the gospel today, I'm referring to a just, holy God and a broken, sinful people that need a savior. And our God didn't look down on us and say to hell with you. He said, I'm gonna do something about it. And I'm gonna send my son to take y'all's place for the punishment, for, take the punishment for the crimes y'all have committed. That's the gospel. Let me get back on track here. Jesus had just completed the greatest act of sacrifice in human history. When he was raised from the dead, something entered the world that had not been there since creation. Hope. You see, before Jesus, there was no way for us to redeem ourselves. I'm sure a lot of you guys know this too. Like you, you feel like you try to change your life, you try to do better in life, and you just find yourself falling short constantly. But because of what Jesus did, hope had entered the world. Because Jesus went to the cross and died a criminal's death and then conquered that death by rising from the grave, there's hope for you and there's hope for me. So Jesus opens the door for hope to enter the world. And what does he do next? Does he boast in himself, even though he would every right to because he's God? No. Does he call out his disciples for abandoning him like, Yo, Peter, you said you were going to be with me in prisoner to death. Where were you, man? I was pretty lonely on that cross. No. Does he restore Rome to a position of authority, or not Rome, Israel to a position of authority within the world? Because at the time they believed that the Messiah would be a great military leader that would uh, take him out from Roman uh, persecution and restore Israel to power. Does he do that even though his people are suffering? No. What does he do? He gathers his disciples up and he gives them simple instructions. Go and make disciples of all nations. Speak about what has happened. Speak about this hope. And the crazy thing is, they did. 
They went out as far as they could and they told as many people about this Jesus that offered hope and that offered forgiveness. And not even the Roman Empire itself could stop them. And I mean, they tried. I mean, we're talking Peter was crucified upside down. Others were burned alive in oil. Our boy Paul, man, he got his head cut off. And there was thousands more Christians that were put to death just for sharing their faith. Rome wanted to squash this thing out because it was causing problems. But in spite of their efforts, within 200 years, Christianity would become the official religion of Rome. You guys might be hearing me like, well, well, Robert, that was right after Bible times. Holy Spirit was alive and active right then. You know, that could never happen today. Okay, let me give you a little bit more modern example. 1949, communist regime takes over China. There is one million Protestant Christians in China. One million people that believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and was raised from the dead and that putting your faith in him would be enough to save you. One million people believe that. Guess how many Christians there are today in spite of the fact that, that just for being a Christian you can be imprisoned and be persecuted. Guess how many Christians there are today? 44 million. If you look out throughout Christian history, the times where conversion to Christianity was the most fruitful was simply because every day men and women were telling people about Jesus. You'd be surprised by how many people would come to know Christ if they even just had an opportunity to hear about the hope he offers. And what do you think Paul meant in Romans when he said, faith comes from hearing? He was saying that hearing about this Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and conquered death, who delivered a new hope would be enough to create a faith in a God that was real and that had answers to our problems. And that was all satisfying. When we look at Christian history, the proclamation of the gospel is what led to the masses being saved. Every great evangelical movement was accomplished by everyday people telling everyday people about Jesus. Which leads me to ask this question. If faith comes from hearing this message about Jesus, then why are so many people leaving the church today? Why in America do over 3,000 people each day leave the faith never to return? In the Parkersburg, Belpre area alone, why is more than 70% of the population not churched? And I was wrecked when I started asking myself these questions because the reality is anyone who does not know Jesus is on their way to hell. And that's not me saying that, that's Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says in Matthew 25, verse 46, um, that the unrepentant, that they will go into eternal punishment, but the, right, the righteous will receive eternal life. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 50, he says, the unrepentant will be thrown into a fiery furnace in the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In John chapter 3, verse 18, uh, he says, whoever does not believe is condemned. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, he even, he even talks about Capernaum and how because of their unrepentant hearts that they would be thrown into Hades. And it's not because there were that people that don't repent are any less or any more sinful than we are. It's just the reality is that the only way we're going to find ourselves in heaven is if we rely on the blood of Christ and what he did on the cross. And it's clear to say that from the mouth of Jesus, 
I mean, if we, if, if we say, what, if, if we truly believe what we say we believe, that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, and it's from his very own mouth that anyone who does not know him will suffer for an eternity. I mean, that, that becomes even more thought-provoking when we think about the Parkersburg Belpre area. Seven out of the ten people that you interact with on a daily basis do not know Jesus. Your coworkers, the clerk at the grocery store, your next-door neighbors, even close family. Why is this the case, though? Why are so many people far from God? Some will say because it's a culture, uh, we've outgrown religion. Others will say that the church is too abusive. There might be a little truth to that. Or some might even say that the world can't handle the truth, and that's why they reject the notion of Jesus. When I first asked myself this question, I didn't know. I, I, mean, I mean, if God is who he says he is, if he's all-satisfying, all-loving, all-just, holy, pure, the beginning to the end, the author of life, if he's really who he says he is, then why aren't people running after him? Like, why aren't they doing everything they possibly could, can to know this God? Don't they realize their need for him? But man, ah, the Lord humbled me in my frustration. And he revealed his answer to me in scripture. Uh, if you want to uh, flip your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. And if you were just zoning out, you're thinking about lunch, you know, I am too. I'm probably going to try to get some Subway after this. But if you're thinking about lunch or you're just zoning out, dial back in for a minute, okay? If you listen to nothing else in this sermon, please listen to this. This is the main point of what I'm trying to get across today, okay? Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The harvest is abundant. The people that will hear the message of Jesus and repent of their sin and turn to Christ is abundant. But the workers are few. The people that will share the message of Jesus with them are few. The issue isn't that our culture has outgrown God. And the issue is definitely not that people around us are too sinful for the message of Jesus. If that were the case, none of us would be in here. The issue is there's not enough workers. There's not enough people in the Parkersburg, Belpre area proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Talking about a God who is hope-giving, who saves the lost who heals broken hearts, who is the answer to the question deep down in everyone's heart. What were we made for? We were made for him. Which breaks my heart because what was the last thing Jesus said? He said, go and make disciples. Go and preach this message that you have heard that Jesus has been crucified for our sins and has conquered death, which changes everything. Jesus himself has called us to go after the loss. He has called you and he has called me. And there's a great need for it in this area. 
And the stigma in the church, not just, I'm not just talking about Porterfield, but the church as a whole, the church body as a whole, that, that, that um, um, discipleship and evangelism is a pastoral responsibility and not a Christian one. Like, for example, Pastor Eric, he's a pastor, so his job is to minister to people. Well, well George, I don't know if there's a George in here. Well, George is an electrician. His responsibility is to fix electrical issues. But Pastor Eric's calling isn't solely just to be a pastor. And George's calling isn't solely just to be an electrician. It's to be Christians, a.k.a. followers of Christ who obey his commands, including the command to go and make disciples. Let me try to break it down a little bit more. If you are a doctor, you are a Christian that is a doctor. Witness to those in the medical field. If you are an electrician, you are a Christian that is an electrician. Witness to those in the construction field. If you are retired and you shop for groceries, you are a Christian that shops for groceries. Witness to those in the grocery store. It's my daughter, by the way. Thanks, thanks, honey. We are called to go after the lost. That is our calling. That is why we are here, and for no other reason. That is the mission of the church. Who here has heard of Charles Spurgeon? Awesome, awesome. I love Charles Spurgeon. I'm a huge fan. For those of you who don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, uh, he was a a Puritan preacher from the late 1800s in London. Uh, He had such a heart for discipleship. Uh, But one thing that he said that that sticks with me to this day, um, ever since I've read it, is he said, the church is either a soul-saving factory or it is nothing. Man, that's convicting to me. The church is either a soul-saving factory or it is nothing. That is the return on our investment that we should be looking at. Pooling our resources together. What are we pulling them for? What's the, me- the measurement that we're looking for? How many people are coming to know Christ? With what we're doing at Porterfield Baptist Church, how many people are coming to know Christ for who he is and are being discipled to, to maturity? The church is either a soul-saving factory or it is Nothing. And depending on who you are, that might be a little uncomfortable. You might be saying, I don't know how to witness to people. You're telling me I have a responsibility to tell people about Jesus, and that is the only reason I'm here? I mean, I mean personally, that's nerve-wracking. You know how many times I've been in the grocery store, I've been out running. I don't run that often. I, I sounded like I do, but I, I really don't. But I've been out running errands, doing something, and, um, and the Lord's put it on my heart to... to to share my faith with somebody, or, or just to start connecting with them so I can have an opportunity to share my faith with them, just to connect with them. How many times the Lord's put that in my heart and I haven't? I'm just confessing my own sin here, guys. It's a lot. And man, it's convicting. But you want to know what it ultimately comes down to? The reason why I do not share my faith with people in my life who I do not know, Je- do not know Jesus is because I do not love them enough. I am more fearful of an awkward conversation than I am of my neighbor going to hell. When we're, we're going to get down to the core of it. If we are not sharing our faith with others around us, it's because ultimately we do not care enough about them. Because it, like I said, if we, if we truly believe what we say believe, 
that we say we believe, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that anyone who puts their faith in him will not perish but have eternal life. But those that don't put their faith in him, John 3, 3, 8, chapter 3, verse 18, will be condemned. Those who do not believe will be condemned. If we truly believe that, man, then the only motivation we have for not sharing our faith is because we do not love those around, around us enough. Do you care about the lost around you? Genuinely, ask yourself that. Do you care? Some of you might uh, be trying to lie to yourselves and say, well, we're, I'm just trying to be loving. I don't, I don't want to be confrontational with anyone. I want to be loving towards them. I don't want to give them a hard time. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. But let me ask you this. Is it loving to see somebody on the path to destruction who's we believe wholeheartedly is on their way to hell. They may be happy in the moment. They may be satisfied with the circumstances of their life in this moment. But is it loving to let them go along and not say anything? No. No, no, no. In fact, I would argue that that's, that's, that's borderline hatred, that you, you would rather not be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of loving the person around you. Some of you might be even getting a little bit offended. You might be like, Robert, you don't know my life. You don't know how busy I am. You don't know what I'm going through and the struggles I have going on. Hey, I hear you, and I, and I want to speak to that. But do we love those around us enough to sacrifice our own lives? Not just, I'm not talking about dying, but literally sacrifice parts of our life to give time to them. Do we? Because if we don't, Man, as someone who, who hasn't loved those around me, we have some repenting to do. When it comes to witnessing for Christ, there will always be an excuse to keep us from doing what we are called to do as Christians. And there will constantly be roadblocks that will try to prevent you from telling people about Jesus. So what I would like to do uh, is just look at the three most common roadblocks that we encounter as Christians, on the road to evangelism and how we should navigate them through the lens of Jesus' command in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 19. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I want to put an emphasis on the word doubted. I like painting pictures of what's going on. So, so Jesus literally died on the cross, was raised from the grave, and he's, he's talking with his disciples. He's gathering them up, and some of them are worshiping him, but some of them are doubting him. Some of them in their hearts are saying, Jesus, I don't believe you. I think you're lying. I mean, to, to, to get down to the root of it, that's basically, with our doubt, that's what they were saying to Jesus. They were committing an act of blasphemy, which is a sin. And guess what? Jesus knew that. And one thing I want to point out, did that change the command he gave them? Literally, minutes later. The reason why I'm pointing that out is because the first roadblock we encounter on the road to evangelism is shame. 
I don't know about you guys, but anytime that I'm going to go share my faith with somebody or I'm going to get coffee with somebody just to speak into their life and, and just to, to be a witness for Christ, it always seems to be happening when I get in an argument with my spouse or when I get angry in traffic or I think a thought that's ungodly that I shouldn't be thinking. And man, shame just loves to creep up into my heart and tell you, you're not good enough, you're a hypocrite. You're too sinful to be doing this. You're too sinful to, to be a witness for Christ. And man, it's crushing. I'm sure there's people in here that have experienced that themselves. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, you may not even be a believer in here. You may be in here today and you may be thinking about what I've been talking about with the gospel and how there is a just, righteous, holy God. You know how I feel about that. And you realize that if this God is real, I'm definitely falling short. Man, I am not measuring up. And then all sorts of shame starts to creep up there. You start to think, man, I don't know how I could even come forward and, 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 and approach this God, man. I, I feel ashamed. Just like Jesus knew in his command that, he, that some were doubting of him, some were falling short, Jesus knew that all of us were going to fall short. We're not surprising him. Ephesians 1 says that, uh, that before the foundation of the earth was laid, he chose us to make us holy and blameless in his sight. Literally, he saw all of our sin before he went to the cross. So if you're in here today wrestling with the idea of a loving God that could somehow love the mess of a person that you are, let me tell you something. There is a God and he does love you and he wants you to come to him and to find forgiveness, to find hope. If you're a Christian in here today that's wrestling with the shame and you're like, I want to live on mission. I want to live on impact. But man, Robert, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the, the sins that I'm struggling with. Let me say something. Your ability to be a witness for Christ is not based upon your morality. It's based upon Christ's morality. God's love for you is not based upon anything you have or haven't done. It's solely based upon who God is. So man, find freedom. Find freedom in knowing, yeah, I, I messed up like an hour ago. But man, God loves me so much. Not only did he free me from the penalty of sin, he freed me from the shame of it. So I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna live on impact and I'm gonna live with a purpose to reach those around me. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. God is in control. The second roadblock we encounter is fear. It might be fear of rejection or, or fear of harm that might come from a conversation or just people being nasty towards you in response, you're just trying to share your faith with them. Because here's the reality of it. The gospel message is probably the most offensive message in human history. It talks about a God that is perfect and how he declares that we have fallen short, that we are not measuring up, and that the only way we could be made right is through his son. That is offensive. And even in today's culture, we're getting more and more towards the point that even talking about how you're not measuring up, that you've fallen short of God's glory can lead to you being called things like a bigot or closed-minded or judgmental. Let me reassure you here, okay? 
If you're fearful of rejection just for simply wanting to share your faith, we have a high priest that sympathizes with us. Jesus was rejected on the cross. Not only was he rejected by his own people who pushed for him to be on the cross, not only was he rejected by his disciples that claimed to follow him to death, but he was rejected by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God literally turned his back on Jesus so that he would never turn his back on us. So if you're fearful or of the rejection you're gonna experience from people on this planet while you're trying to share your faith, while you're trying to grow in Christ and trying to bring others along with you, let me encourage you, you may experience rejection from those around you, but you will never experience rejection from God. If you are fearful of harm, whether it comes verbally or physically for sharing your faith, let me encourage you. Jesus has experienced harm. Not only did he experience harm in verbal and physical insults while he was on the cross, but he experienced harm from God the Father. When he was on the cross, being crucified, not only was he being crucified, but God was pouring out his wrath on him in our place. So all the punishment that we deserved, that I deserved for the sins I had committed, God was pouring out on Jesus. So yeah, you may experience harm on the road to evangelism to sharing your faith from people around you, but you will never experience it from God because God has saved you and has set you apart because of the act of Jesus on the cross. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The third roadblock we encounter on the road to evangelism is I don't know how. I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. I don't even know what that looks like. I, don't, I mean, I don't even know the, the, just where to start and the, the, how complex things can be with people with their problems. How, how do I start to introduce myself into people's lives like that? How do I do that? And if you're feeling that way, hey, it's okay. We all had to be taught, whether it's through trial or error or somebody else teaching us. But who better to teach us on how to witness to the lost and how to make disciples than Jesus? So what I want to do, I just want to uh, take a couple minutes to just go through one practical way. This is just one, there's one of many practical ways that we can start engaging the lost and start trying to share our faith with them. If you want to flip your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, this is just an example uh, from Jesus himself. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. When Jesus said, follow me, he was giving his disciples a place to belong. When he said, follow me, he was inviting the disciples into his life. He was inviting them to, to, to eat with him, to work with him, to fellowship with him. He was just giving them a place to belong. And in the same way as Christians, we need to give those around us a place to belong in our life. And that can look different for everybody. It could be as simple as uh, getting coffee with somebody you know, uh, going out to lunch with a coworker once a week, 
Maybe you got some neighbors that you invite over for dinner periodically and, and you barbecue with them and you start getting to know them and, and involving them in your life and, and, and connecting with them and, and finding ways to serve them. And you give them a place to belong and then you find ways to connect their lives with the gospel. Let me give you a quick example of this, okay? So um, Taylor Shay and I had been married for a year and a half. We moved to Wilmington, uh, North Carolina, uh, and we moved into an apartment complex that was just loaded with college students. Actually, it was, it was kind of hard. Couldn't find parkings on Friday night because they, they were partying all the time. You can tell the Lord's still working on my heart about it. But, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, we ended up meeting uh, one of our neighbors across the parking lot. And uh, they were a couple, and we were connecting with them, getting to know them. And uh, we would have them over for dinner, and I would go out and get lunch with a guy. And Taylor Shea would go out by the pool with a girl, and we'd hang out at the dog park. We just gave them a place to belong in our lives, and we, we loved them. We knew they weren't saved, and we were just loving on them. Uh, but what, on one particular day, I was outside uh, putting together a piece of furniture for Taylor Shea on our front porch. And uh, uh, the guy walked on over, and he just started talking with me, and he was helping me out. Well, he was having a beer, and we were just talking. And uh, uh, he opened up to me, and he said, man, me and her just got in a huge fight. And I just, I don't know how I'm supposed to love somebody that's constantly hurting me. And all my wisdom of being married for a year and a half, I was like, amen, man, amen. <laughs> but, man, I had an opportunity to share something with him. I said, man, I hear you. I mean, Taylor Shea and I fight too. And sometimes she says things that hurt. And it's not because she's a bad wife. It's, it's just because she's human. I say things that are hurtful to her too. But man, Jesus in his word tells me that I'm called to love Taylor Shea like he loved the church. And he loved the church in such a way that he was crushed for our inequities. He was crushed for my sins. So I can be crushed by my wife's words for a few minutes. If it means I get to love her like Christ loved the church, I can be crushed by her words for a few minutes and love her um, unconditionally. You guys see that? I didn't go to him and say, man, you're gonna go to hell. You need to turn to Jesus now. But, but I started connecting with him and I found, we found ways. And there were several more opportunities where both Taylor Shea and I got to share our faith with him and share the message of Jesus with that couple. This is our calling as Christians. We are called to go out and to make disciples. I mean, let's just, let's just the elephant in the room here, okay? God blessed the church in the 20th century. If you built the church, they were coming, okay? But man, our culture is shifting. And, and, and honestly, God never really design, didn't design the church to function in that way where they, you just build it and they come. God called us to go. And, and I think we all need to be asking ourselves a very real question. Is my life shaped around making disciples? How many disciples have I made? How many people that have not known Jesus that I've brought them to know Jesus and have helped them grow in their maturity with Jesus then they go back out and are doing the same themselves? How many disciples have I made? These are all questions we need to be asking ourselves because the reality is if we are not making disciples, if we are not going out, we are being disobedient to Christ. I don't care if you're 17 or 70. This is your calling. This is your purpose. Do not waste the rest of your life away on things that do not matter. Shape your life around this command. I want to tell a story real quick. Um, Taylor Shea and I were a part of a church plant, and 
uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. That's why we moved there originally. And uh, that came to a close in November of last year. During the time that we've moved, moved away from there, and from today, two people that were a part of our church had passed away. One of them was a young father uh, with three children under the age of five, and the other was a 19-year-old girl. I do not know if the father knew Christ. He may have. I, I, I don't see any evidence of it. And when we found out he passed away, that crushed Taylor Shea and I. We were weeping in the car at the thought of him being face-to-face with God in all of his glory, and all of his magnitude, and he did not know Jesus. That scared me. I think about that every day. And it's crushing. The other one was a 19-year-old girl who... Uh, was in a moped accident. And, and it looked like she had miraculously just walked it off. She seemed fine, nothing was wrong, but she had some internal bleeding. She was a believer. So when she went home that night and she went to sleep, she woke up in Jesus' arms. <laughs> The only way people come to know Christ is if we share our faith with them. That's the way God designed it. He wanted us to partake in that. To be a part of his great plan of redemption. Every single one of us has been given an opportunity to share our faith. Whether you know it or not, you have. I am pleading with you, church, do not waste the next one. Do not waste the next opportunity you have to connect with someone in your life who does not know Christ. Redirect your whole life towards that one goal, to win the loss to Jesus. If you are in here today and you do not know Jesus, whether that's because you feel ashamed or there's been trauma you've gone through in your life or, or you just flat out don't believe, I plead with you. Christianity makes some pretty bold claims. I would encourage you to investigate the matter some more. If anyone has any questions, if you're, if you're in here today, if you have any questions about discipleship or if you, if you have any questions just about Jesus, you don't know where to start, I'll be here. I'll stay here all day. I'd like to invite the worship team back up as I prepare to pray. Tell me, Father, you're good, you're just, and you're holy. Forgive me for my disobedience. I can think of nearly two dozen times in the last couple of years even that I had opportunities to share my faith and I didn't. God, my prayer for Porterfield Baptist Church and the church as a whole is that we would focus on one thing and one thing alone, and that's winning people to Christ and waging war for their souls. Because God, we know you're real. 
And whether the world thinks you are or not, we know you are. And the only way they're going to come to know Christ is by putting their faith in you. So God, shape our hearts. Redirect us in the way you want us to go. Ultimately, give us a heart that only wants to glorify you and wants to make you happy by fulfilling your command of making disciples, Lord. We love you, God. It's your name we pray. Amen.